This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, let's, let's turn, to the, turn to the last subject that I want to cover, and that is the whole issue of and, – and I don't I don't know how to ask this question, so I'm just going to throw it out there and see what happens. And that is, you know, we've kind of been engaged in what's often been called the cultural wars, and there's almost been this confrontational um, battle. You know, there's a lot of war imagery that gets used and that kind of thing. And do you think thinking about our conversations that we engage in in the public square or in the media when we're doing cultural engagement, do you think the cultural wars metaphor helps us, hurts us, or does it depend? I mean, I, 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 I'm kind of, yeah. you know, uh, and, and really what I'm trying to raise here is the issue of tone. How do we have the mm-hmm. conversation? And are there things that we do that hurt us? And are there things that we can do that help us? Well said. You know, let's just recognize uh, that if you take a controversial issue, and let's take one of the most controversial issues over the last few decades, and that would be abortion, uh, even when you're on television or on radio or you're writing about that, you have to understand that you've got a variety of people that are watching or listening to what you say. And sometimes programs are intentionally controversial. Uh, The programmer wants that. So they'll have somebody from Planned Parenthood and then maybe they'll try to find somebody, say, from Operation Rescue. Now, Daryl, you know as well as I do that the mass of America is in the middle looking at both sides saying, I'm not sure I agree with either of them. And so they see these kind of uh, missiles launched from one side to the other, and the people in the middle are like, "This neither of those views represent me. I have maybe a little bit of concern about that, and uh, 50% of Americans refer to themselves as pro-life. What that means, we'll leave at the moment. Mm-hmm. But there are saying, I don't really necessarily agree with some of the strident things I'm hearing from the guy that's pro-life. I certainly don't agree with the people with Planned Parenthood. But even the other 50% of Americans who don't call themselves pro-life, they still think maybe we should have some restrictions on abortion. They say, I can't really relate to that either. And so it brings you back to the issue of tone. If you can come in there and be gracious, have facts, but uh, not be making statements, finger-pointing, making strident kinds of comments, you're going to win the middle. Because you know, maybe there's 10% on one side and 20% on the other side or whatever, but there's a mass of people people in the middle that find themselves oftentimes when they see these confrontational programs or they see these really strident things being said back and forth, they don't really agree with it. And I think they're looking for people with a more moderate, loving, gracious kind of tone. Think of it a different way. How many people am I going to talk out of going to an abortion clinic if I've got sort of a white knuckle glass grasp on my Bible and I'm you know pointing my finger mm-hmm. instead of saying, you know, could I just talk to you for just a minute before you make a very important decision that you're about ready to make that could affect your life forever? Mm-hmm. Um, there are just different ways, and I think it just brings us back to the issue of tone. Some people try to make things controversial. Sometimes for ratings' sake, you will see these point counterpoints. But I'll tell you, Daryl, I'm seeing more and more people that say, you know, when I see a lot of these talking head confrontational shows on cable television, 
I just turn them off because I don't even want to hear it anymore. Well, I, I think that's a very, very important point, and I, and I, it it brings me back to the thought of you know I, again I'll use my own experience when I do debates with someone on the Jesus seminar or whatever. The question I often get asked is something like, uh, and usually this is coming from a conservative person, says, "Have you ever convinced anyone of the mm-hmm. Jesus seminar of your point of view?" You know. And you know, I'm going. Gee, thanks for asking the question. I mean, and and my response is inevitably, they're not my audience. That's a good point. Uh, they're not my audience. I'm not trying to convince John Dominic Crossan, who's invested 45 years of his professional life in forming the position that he has. Yeah. Uh, he has his reasons for. My audience is the people who are listening to us talk. And are try and they're trying to well figure said. out where am I on this spectrum and where am I going to land, and so I'm not trying to convince him. I'm trying to convince well them. Well said. Well said. And that is uh, that is a very very important part of this uh, of what engagement is about. Engagement is not about winning the person that you're often paired against, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. When the media does these kinds of events, your audience is is who you are both speaking to. And, and and doing your best to make and put forward the best uh, case possible and the best tone possible in gaining that audience. I, I, I know of conservative speakers who I've heard where I say, you know, they really had it better on the facts, but their tone was so off yeah. they won the battle and lost the war. Well, while we're talking about debates, one of the other things I've done over the years is moderate a lot of debates, one that you and William Lane Craig did That's over, right. on that issue of the Jesus Seminar. I've done others with William Lane Craig, ones with Josh, uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias. Also, Norm Geisler and I have done debates. So mm-hmm. uh, I've been both a moderator and a participant. And again, I recognize that you're not going to convince a Marcus Borg. You're not going to convince, uh, you know, as you said, some of the people in the Jesus Seminar. Uh, you're certainly not going to convince uh, Richard Dawkins or when he was alive Christopher Hitchens but you are in a forum that really allows you to surface those kinds of discussions and for many years we actually would not only speak in the college classrooms we would do debates and I recognize that I always had a little concern about debates because oftentimes you generate a lot more heat than that's light. right I don't like them for that reason but at the same time I recognize that you would bring people into an audience that would never listen to you before that's correct uh, good examples when I was at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville we did a debate with the leading abortionist there dr. Harrison and myself and you know when I walked in that night I thought who's gonna come to a discussion or even a debate Debate about abortion, and I walked in, Daryl, and it was jam packed. I mean, it was um, probably too many people, but the fire marshal wasn't there. <laughs> and the reason is, is that some of the professors said they were going to show up and give the Christian dummy a bad time. Mm-hmm. Well, I realized that most of the people in this audience did not agree with me, so I began to talk about medical arguments against abortion. Then Dr. Harrison got up there and talked about Christians that presume to know the will of God and wrench Scripture out of context. Then I got up there and I talked about uh, legal arguments against abortion. Mm-hmm. He got up there and talked about you know the danger of the Christian right and wanting to impose a theocracy and really trying to subjugate women's bodies. 
And I got up there and talked about philosophical arguments against abortion. At this point, he was taking his prepared text and throwing it on the floor because he was assuming I was going to come from a biblical point of view. Right. But instead, I was reasoning to my biblical conclusions. Exactly. I used some Bible verses at the end, but I didn't start there. And at the same point, this was an environment where after a few minutes, a lot of people said, okay, I didn't realize there were really good arguments for abortion. And afterwards, I had a student come up and said, you know, when I walked in here tonight, I really didn't know how I thought about abortion. After I heard you talk, I knew exactly how I thought about it. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, you know, that, that and, and, and you've said that very nicely. It actually loops back around to where we started, which is this, that knowing your audience and knowing what kinds of arguments to use that are persuasive to your audience is important. I like to say to people, I believe the Bible is true, but the Bible is true because of the way it addresses the topics. It, it speaks truthfully. And so, uh, so that means that when I think about that, I don't just say it because the Bible says it. I want to say it because I think the Bible is saying something is true that I can unpack, and and those are not the same things. Uh, and, and so, your idea of I'm reasoning my way to the Bible as opposed to simply citing the Bible that that's part of what that's part of what a seminary education that's part of what we're about is we're trying to share with people you know kind of the rest of the story what's underneath the text that allows the text to speak and resonate in, in a in a particular way that's effective you know and, and another example of the type of thing that we're talking about the very North Texas debate that you were talking about yes. that you moderated when Marcus Borg and Daryl Schmidt were representing the Jesus Seminar and uh, William Lane Craig and myself were representing um, Orthodox Christianity. We were debating the resurrection, whether it really happened. I'll never forget the news report that was in the student newspaper that came out the next day, and it basically went this way. It went, I went to this debate expecting to hear the icons of liberal Christianity express themselves, and I was disappointed. Wow. And I thought that that's that's the point. The point is I'm I'm not I'm not trying to win Marcus Borg to change what he's written over 40 years of his life. The point is to get someone who's listening to the two of us talk and say, "You know what? I think that position's more reasonable than that position." Sure. And open them up to it. And again, you got all sorts of people right now that they they listen to Bart Ehrman. Sounds reasonable. You know, they read the Da Vinci Code. Well, it sounds like that could be possible. And what you're doing is interrupting the filibuster, if you will. That's right. And say, "Wait a minute, there's another view 
viewpoint and listen to this for a few minutes and you'll realize that what was given a lot of prominence maybe in the newspapers or in a best-selling book or in some kind of a television program uh, there is another side of that story and when you hear it you realize maybe you were accepting it too uncritically and just to be sure that we're not just speaking theoretically here that actually translates into uh, an important message to to make and that to people in the church and that is how do you actually interact with and how do you get prepared to be that voice in other words in other words this assumes an ability to be able to True. understand these areas and to engage in these areas and to get the help that you need uh, for some of these areas and some people will say just the average person out there will say well I'm not an expert in New Testament I'm not an expert in Old Testament I'm not a I'm not a Jesus scholar I don't know about creation I don't know anything about much about biology you know they may know about one area because it's related to their vocation but so so what do we what do you say to the average Christian who wants to culturally engage and knows these conversations are going on but feels, I'm really not adequately prepared. In fact, sometimes I think our churches don't do a very good job of preparing people mm-hmm. in these areas. I mean, you spent your life trying to do this. So um, so what do you say to the, to the average person who's saying, I want to get prepared? Well, the good news is, is that what we are talking about here, and this is really kind of the theme of what we talk about, is lifelong learning. So uh, just because you don't know doesn't mean that you can't learn. Uh, sometimes I'll have young students and after I've answered a half a dozen different questions on topics all over the map, they'll go, how do you know that? And I said, you know, when I was your age, I couldn't have done what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dedicate yourself to lifelong learning. Number two, recognize that, okay, you might not be an expert, but you can quote an expert. It's back to questions. I encourage a lot of students when they go off to college, look, you know, you are talking about if you're going to challenge your professor, somebody who's been in this profession, has his Ph.D. or her Ph.D., been there for 40 years, and you're an 18-year-old. Okay, but there are still some things you can do. You can say, you know, uh, Professor Smith, the other day I was reading this, and uh, he's got academic credentials similar to yours, and he says da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. What do you think about that? So, again, that's the part of asking questions, whether it's in a college classroom, whether it's asking questions or citing somebody in a letter to the editor, whether it's uh, pulling together some of those pieces of information, you can, in a sense, really learn how to present that. And the good news is, because of YouTube now, you can watch some of the best debates. I mean, I've mentioned William Lane Craig. If you want to know how to do a debate, William Lane Craig or Norm Geisler, or I've done some things with Ravi Zacharias, we can mention a lot of names of individuals that will show you how they did it, and you can learn vicariously from them as well. So first of all, study. Second of all, recognize, no, you may not be an expert, but you don't have to be an expert to quote an expert. And third, if you don't have an answer to a question, it's okay to say, I don't know. You have said that. I say that. Uh, Everybody listening and watching this probably will say that from time to time, be honest enough, and say, you know, I don't have an answer, but, you know, the truthfulness of Christianity is not dependent upon me being able to give you a quick answer to that question. Because I can come back, I can do some research and maybe give you an answer or even put you in contact with somebody that can again give you an answer, but be honest enough sometimes to say, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that either. No, and, and again, this the whole style of engagement, there's even a way to frame the question when you're in a classroom situation like this. And the way I like to frame these kinds of conversations, particularly when you are dealing with a professor who has a lot more expertise than usually the student asking the question, my advice to the student is, don't say, oh, professor, you've got that wrong and blah, 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 yeah, blah, 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 blah. Do that. or anything like that. But, but what do you say about and, – and almost tell it as if, you know, here's another piece of the puzzle 
that needs to be put on the table that everyone needs to reflect on, you know, and you just put it out there and say, you said this, but and I liked your way you said it, but this person who has the credentials that you have says it this way or puts this piece on the table. Now what are you going to do with it? And that's that's engagement. That's yeah. cultural engagement. That's cultural engagement in a, in a tone and in a manner that, that hopefully causes everyone in the class who hears that question to reflect uh, even as you ask it, and that oftentimes is the most helpful way to do it. Well, our, fortunately, our, our time is up, uh, but we really appreciate you coming in today, Kirby, and being a part of the table and, and talking with us and talking about how to sit at the table and have engagement. We really uh, appreciate your ministry and your time with us, and thank you very much. Well, thank you also for the stand that you take. It's always fun to watch you on television, read you in the newspapers, and uh, may your tribe increase because of this broadcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.